This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Bill Withers died this week of complications from heart disease. He was our guest on our very first episode. I reached out to him as a fellow West Virginian, and though he rarely gave interviews, he agreed to do this one for a show that didn't yet exist that had a kind of funny name. And it's one of the best conversations I've had. Thank you, Mr. Withers. Don't worry about that, sugar. If something bothers me, you know, I would say I don't want to talk about that. I'm not that fragile, you know. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Death is just a part of life. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Do you like sex? And need to talk about more. There's more to life than a little money, you know. I'm Anna Sale. Who in the world would come up with a title (laughs) like that? (laughs) It's all the essential stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. If you reverse them, it's a story of a lot of people's lives. That's the story of rock and roll right there. (laughs) This guy knows something about that. My name is Bill Withers. And you know his songs. But ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Ain't no sunshine, lean on me, lovely day, just the two of us, use me. Bill Withers hasn't released a new studio album in almost 30 years, but he's totally okay with that. When you live this long, living is sort of like a habit. Like a lot of people have said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. I should be doing yoga and, you know, riding the exercise bike, but uh, I go in and look at the treadmill every morning, and then I turn on the TV. He's in his mid-70s now. He was a grown man in his early 30s already when his first album came out. He worked with producer Booker T. Jones on it, and it won him a Grammy, and he knew he'd never have to worry about money again. But Bill Withers grew up poor in West Virginia. He was the last of six kids. Six that lived to be adults. You know, the infant mortality rate was high, so I think my mother had about 13 kids, but six of us lived to be adults. Slab Fork is the name of the town where he grew up, at least until he was three years old. That's when his parents split up, and his mom moved to a little city nearby called Beckley. My father was very faithful. He picked us up every Friday, so we lived weekends in Slab Fork and the week in Beckley. And then I went back and lived with my father for one year. The last year of his life, I I lived with him. You know, he needed some help. So you, were you taking care of him when he was when he was ailing? Well, we were taking care of each other, you know. 11 and 12, I was with him, you know. 
at that age, when you're with an adult, you're kind of taking care of each other, you know. What was your father like? What kind of man was he? Well, he was a very stable guy. He was a treasurer for everything. He was a treasurer for the union, the United Mine Workers Union over there. And he was a treasurer for the church and uh, that kind of, you know. That says a lot. Yeah. You describe him as a man of stability and consistency. What was it like to lose him when you were just becoming a man? Well, it wasn't like he dropped dead from a heart attack. He was sick for a while, so there's a reality to life that uh, you can see certain things coming, and so you prepare. You know, uh, you miss somebody that dies, but uh, I was prepared to go on with life. Or maybe that's just my personality, you know. A realist. I mean, maybe you got that from your father. Probably so, yeah. Wanna wish you freedom Do you remember your childhood in Slab Fork and then in Beckley? Do you remember it as a happy time? I remember it as trying to get through it time, you know. I stuttered until I was about 30. So mostly I remember thinking about getting out. I wasn't going to go in those coal mines, you know. Since I stuttered, you know, people kind of bother you when you stuttered. One of the big influences on me was a little guy named Virgil that owned a newsstand. Virgil was probably less than five feet tall. He walked on crutches and looked like he had a volleyball in the back of his shirt. And I was shining shoes uh, over there, and I would go buy comic books. One day I went to buy a comic book, and I wanted one that was behind the counter, so I had to ask for it. So when Virgil noticed that I stuttered, rather than laughing like everybody else did, he said, I think you can get some help for that. As fate would have it, that little man who couldn't walk without crutches became my male figure because that was very macho to me, you know. You know, a bunch of guys running around flexing their muscles, drinking moonshine and fighting each other on the weekends. That wasn't masculine to me. That was just dumb. Virgil uh, kind of, uh, he let me know that maybe something could be done about it that I didn't have to stutter for the rest of my life. He got me one session with a therapist, and we couldn't afford to go back. But it put the seed in my mind. That stutter, Bill Withers struggled with it for a long time. But songwriting always came easy to him. Something crosses your mind, and then you try to say it and make it rhyme. Billy, don't you run so fast. Might fall on a piece of glass. It's wordplay, you know. in that grass, grandma's hand. Soothe the local unwed mother, grandma's hand. Used to ache sometimes and swell, grandma's Used to lift her face and tell her she'd say, 
baby grandma understand that you really love that man. Put yourself in Jesus' hands, grandma's hands. But before he could make any music, Bill Withers had to get out of the mountains. So he looked to the military. He joined the Navy and was a mechanic. But then that ended. I was terrified when I got out of the Navy like that because I didn't, you know, I didn't know how things were going to work out. But then mostly I knew I had to make a living, so I would work in, uh, I worked at Ford Motor Company. I worked at IBM, you know, whatever. Tell me about that time. I mean, you were you are out of the Navy. You're working and living in California. You're trying to break into the music business. And it's not just a year. It's not just two years. It's it's year three, year four, year five. Yeah. When you think of yourself when you were when you were that age, I mean, you're in your early 30s, were you confident or were you still sort of looking for some signs from the world that you were going to be okay? Well, you know, I'm not into like false humility. So certain things you don't try if you don't think you can do it. So obviously I thought I could do it because I went to a great effort to do it. I mean, it's not... Uh, I don't think any you can get into something like sports or the music business by accident. You have to put yourself on the line. And to put yourself on the line, you have to at least think you can do it, you know? If I was going to write anything longer than a song, I would write about fear. People get stuck in situations and they want to do something else, but they're afraid. And there's no way not to be afraid. But to me, courage is not not being afraid. It's what do you do in spite of being afraid? Fear. Fear disguises itself as anger and stuff, you know. Ego will make you call fear something other than what it is. I mean, it's not very macho to say I'm scared. With what seems like an endless amount of information at our fingertips, we tend to forget that wondering about things is really part of the journey to finding answers we're looking for. So when it comes to the hot topics of Israel, Judaism, and Zionism, there's so much to wonder about right now that it's hard to know where to turn. Enter the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Biton and Noam Weissman as they tackle these topics and the uncomfortable questions that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers, together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. So check it out. Subscribe to Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wondering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Bill Withers was five years out of the Navy and had worked a string of manufacturing jobs. That's when he decided that breaking into the music business was one of those things he was going to have to do on his own. 
waiting for some guy with a cigar to come and discover you is not going to happen. You have to go discover them. So I saved my money and started recording myself and leaving, uh, you know, just leaving tapes around. And then one day you got a phone call. Well, it's not like I got a phone call from some major thing. It was uh, it was a, some guy I'd never heard of from a record company I'd never heard of. So we went in and did half the record and uh, got kicked out of the studio because the bills weren't paid. So I had to wait another six months to do the other half. <laughs> Somehow or another, this guy was able to get Booker T to work with me. It was kind of a fly-by-night. Uh, one time we were recording, and Stephen Stills was walking down the hallway, and Booker was friends with him, so he said, Hey, Stephen, would you come here and play a little bit for us? So it was kind of like that, you know. What was that like for you? You know, you got to figure, I wasn't 18 years old. I was in my 30s, so I was beyond being starstruck. I was just trying to get something done, you know. I remember when I was recording my first first song I was working on, Graham Nash came in and sat down in front of me. And uh, in those days, Graham had a little taste here and there. So he was pretty much drunk, but he was very nice to me. He kept saying, you don't know how good you are. So it was kind of an experience like that. It was, you know, I had been in this military industrial complex all my life. I'm trying to relate to all these crazy musicians, you know. Booker was very stable. That helped me a lot. If you read the album cover by now, you know that my name is what my name is. When I came in here to try and do this, something I've never done before, Mr. Jones, Booker T., said to me, don't worry about it. Just do what you do and do it good. So your first album comes out. It's called Just As I Am. You're At that point, you're laid off from your job that you've had. And there's a day when you get a a call back to work, and you got another phone call the same day? Uh, yeah, I got called back to my job, and Johnny Carson's people called to see if I would come on the Johnny Carson show. So, And uh, was there a moment of hesitation, or did you, did you know you were going for Johnny and leaving your old life behind? Well, I thought about it because uh, everybody that goes on the Johnny Carson show, so sometimes they go on there once and they disappear into the night, you know? It's more fun to say there was a hesitation <laughs> than the reality of there being one. I mean, there's a very small likelihood that I would have said, no, Johnny, I'm going up over here and shoot these rivets and eat a bologna sandwich for lunch. <laughs> you know, so a lot of things you say because they're, they're clever and they make you interesting, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's like when somebody asked me where I was from, if I would have said Beckley, that doesn't sound too interesting. But Slab Fork has a ring to it. So it's a lot more interesting to say, 
I got a letter from, you know, Weber Aircraft and Johnny Carson at the same time and I actually thought about going back there. There's no way I wasn't going to go on a Johnny Carson show. <laughs> Can I ask you a question about, about money? Yeah. When was the moment in your career, in your life, when you realized that, that working a job and earning a wage, that those days were behind you? Ah, well, when somebody gave me some money, you know. My first song was a hit song, and they gave me a Grammy. That's motivation to, oh, then I should do this again because it, <laughs> you know. it. Uh, this is working out well, yes. Yeah, yeah, this is working <laughs> out, you know. You know, Mr. Withers, I was I was looking back at, at some of the liner notes from your albums. I noticed on, on Making Music, you just have a, a really nice thank you where you say, I want to thank everyone who, who played an instrument or ran a machine on this album. Yeah. And it made me wonder, was there part of you, having come from West Virginia, having come from a poor community, that felt at all uncomfortable being the one at the forefront no, those are things you get from your mother and your father. That's just manners, you know. Mm -hmm. You have people with manners all over the world, and you have people without manners everywhere also. So I don't think you can assign that to being from some particular place. Decorum and things like that we learn at home, mm -hmm. you know, when we're children. So that was just because you were raised right. Yeah, that 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 would be more a, a credit to my parents. Your wife Marsha, who you married in 1976, you've said that she she's the one who taught you about about family. What do you mean when you say that? What did she teach you? Well, I didn't have one before then, and she was a lot more family oriented than me. I mean, you know, when I grew up. My brothers and sisters were older. I only, my brother was 24 years older than me. So I never had that, you know, that whole thing. In fact, it was a very an annoying to me at first, you know, a whole bunch of people. I was used to being by myself and doing what I wanted to do. You know, I don't think, I don't know if I decided to have kids or not, but they arrived. And so then you learn to, uh, you know, you, you try to, learn how to do that. It's like if somebody gives you a car, then if you can't, you become certainly suddenly interested in driving, you know what I mean? <laughs> how much did, did becoming a father have to do with your re-examining touring, the life of a touring musician, and, and thinking about, you know, committing to putting out studio albums one after the other? Well, I knew I couldn't raise kids in Los Angeles if I was in Philadelphia and New York and, and London and somewhere every night, you know. See, we do what we're licensed to do. By me being a songwriter, most of my money came to my mailbox. I didn't make a lot of money going on tour. So for me, being a songwriter, which I could do in the toilet, on an old paper bag, or even a piece of toilet paper, <laughs> you know. And my ego didn't need the applause approval. Why didn't you need that applause? I don't know. You know, I don't know. That's just the way I am, you know. You can tell who wants a lot of attention. 
it's the kid that does somersaults every time company comes over. Then you have another kid sitting in the corner, you know, uh, reading a comic book. And that was you, the kid reading the comic book. Yeah. You know, it's like I never I never got into that entertainer thing anyway because I sat on a stool with a guitar that I really didn't know how to play. But it kept me from having to dance. <laughs> you know, what do you do with your hands? When you think about your body of work, what do you hope you're remembered for? Well, I know what I'll be remembered for, you know. I mean, there's a, there's a reality to uh, I'm sitting in my wife's office, and her job is to, you know, license and track these songs. So I'll be remembered for the ones that send her downstairs to the bank the most. <laughs> No, that's it, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, you're remembered for the things that made the most noise. So so that's what other people will remember you for. When when you look back, when you look back over your Wait a own minute. life. Wait a yeah. minute. You know what you just said? You said that's what other people will remember me for. Yeah. That's all there is is other people. I ain't going to remember myself. That's true. No, I'm teasing. Well, that is true. That's true. <laughs> However, I, I want to ask your your personal reflections. If, at this point in your life, when you think about the choices you've made, what do you feel most proud of? Well, I mean, I, I could have done better, but I did all right. That's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. I could have done better, you know, had I been disciplined, had I— had I not grown up eating everything on a hog but the holler, I would probably be healthier. You know, I wish I knew more about civility, younger. All the things that we grow into, I wish I had known those things younger because, you know, I would be healthier and probably more useful and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, We are born into the situations we were born into. One day you are, and you try to do something with yourself. The best advice anybody ever gave me was very simple. Go make something out of yourself, you know. So we do the best we can with that. But the the whole goal of this is to try to make yourself interesting. Because nobody comes here to hide. was Bill Withers. He would have turned 82 on the 4th of July. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. 
I'm usually based at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Affie Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to James Ramsey, Chris Bannon, Bill O'Neill, Brendan Baker, Molly Peterson, and Michael Lipton for their help on this episode. Our intern is Ayo Osubamiro. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. The Bill Withers music is courtesy of Sony Music Entertainment. One other thing Bill told me, when he was watching TV, instead of exercising in the morning, his favorite thing to watch was Judge Judy. You know, she's a crabby old lady, and, uh, you know, so I like crabby old people since I'm sort of a crabby old person. (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. (laughs) 